Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Sheila O'Flanagan, an author who has written nearly 30 best-selling novels. Her very first book was called Dreaming of a Stranger and since then she has blazed a trail with a host of chart toppers, including her latest, which is called Three Weddings and a Proposal. Sheila has also written three collections of short stories and two novels for children and overall her book sales have reached just under 10 million right across the world. She's won the Irish Tatler Literary Woman of the Year Award and also the popular fiction book of the year accolade at the Irish Book Awards. She's an avid badminton player, she's a former director of the Irish Sports Council and also a board member of Fighting Words which is the creative writing centre set up by Booker Prize winner Roddy Doyle. Before she turned to writing, Sheila worked in the banking industry and she was the first female chief trader in Ireland and wrote a column about finance for the Irish Times. Her childhood dream, though, was to be an astronaut or a pro tennis player. Sheila, I love it. You were always aiming for the stars, even as a small child. I never thought of it quite like that, but I guess so, yeah. So writing wasn't on the list at that point, was it? Actually, writing was probably was always on the list. Um, but, you know, I, I when I was smaller, certainly I, I, I was re- really interested in in astronomy and my dad was, too. And it was a, a shared interest that we had. And um, I remember him waking me up um, when I was, I don't know how old I was, 10, maybe when the first moon landing was taking place and bringing me downstairs and making me watch it. And, and I was saying, I want to do that. And so, yeah, for, for a period of time, I thought astronaut was my thing, but I was actually not that great at maths and oh, small right. spaces. So what's never going to work? You weren't that great at maths, but you did end up in the financial services sector. Yeah, I, I always say that that was just some, it was a a mistake, not not my mistake, but there was some something went wrong somewhere along the line because I had applied for a job in the library and I didn't actually get the job in the library and I got offered the job in the bank. And my mother said to me, you're taking that job in the bank. And I went, oh, God, because it was maths. Um, but actually, I, I loved it when I was there, uh, but it was it was not high on my list. And were you writing on the side then when you were in the bank at any point? Yeah, absolutely. Although, uh, I mean, I, I'm that typical, you know, drawer full of half finished manuscripts and I had a few short stories. I, I wrote quite a lot of short stories, actually. And um, writing was something that I did to put my head outside the financial world. So so it was always there. But but I didn't do it, you know, probably I, I didn't do it with a kind of a, a feeling that I was going to get published or anything. I was just doing it as a as a hobby. Even though probably at the back of my well, definitely at the back of my mind, I, I always thought I'd like to write a book, but actually I didn't feel I had the time to do it. So it was more of a, a creative outlet then. Yeah, absolutely, and just a way of of kind of put myself into a different headspace. And when you started writing that column then for the Irish Times, it was called View from the Third Floor, and very much you know it was focused on on your work, and it was for the business pages of the Irish Times. Did that spur you on, maybe? Um, not actually, funnily enough, no, not to not to write uh, creatively. To, for me, um, the reason that I uh, that I wanted to write that column was because I thought that people, ordinary people, and I would consider myself like ordinary people, um, knew nothing about finance. People were always saying, 
oh, I don't understand that sort of stuff. And, and you know, it's not actually hard to understand. It, it, like every like every specialization, there are buzzwords and people try to make it sound far more complicated mm-hmm. than it is. And I, the IFSC was new at the time, you know, and I just wanted to say, look, okay, this all sounds, you know, when you read stuff in the paper, it all sounds really glam and, and, and difficult and everything, but it's not. And so that's why I wanted to write that. So when did the novel take shape then or at what point did you sort of go, I have something here? Uh, well, actually, I was in my mid 30s at, at that point. And I suppose increasingly I was feeling that I, I wanted to be more creative. Um, and there were there were always lots of stories buzzing around in my head. And um, what actually happened was that a, a friend of mine asked me if I would do a manual for him for for um, students doing banking exams. You know, they had a distance learning thing. It, it was not a book as such, but, you know, and I said, yeah, OK. And um, I, I wrote that for him. And having written that, I realized that all of my thoughts of not having time to do something were actually just excuses to put it off. Mm-hmm. Because when I was asked if I could do something, I said I could do it and I did it. And so um, I, I said, right, I realized that, that I was just making excuses for myself. So I went out and I bought myself a very early laptop. And uh, I said, I'm, you know, I have written all of these books with chap- just as far as chapter two or something. And I'm going to sit down and going to write something and finish it. And you and did. So and I did, yeah. And from what I can see then, so Poolbeg were interested, but not in the in the first book that you approached them with. Um, the first, yeah, the first book was actually now, now, if I'd written it now, it would be a young adult book. Right. Because I've written it um, about uh, girls just leaving school. And actually it was all about their Deb's ball and that, that whole kind of thing, which was just beginning to be a big thing, you know. And um, so when I when I went to them, they said to me that they loved the characters and they loved the writing, but it was too young for them. And could I imagine the characters at an older age? And if I did, they'd be maybe interested in publishing my book. And, and would I be able to do that? And, you know, the one thing that I did learn in finance was that if you know, I, I didn't know if I could do this, but I, I you have to say yes. You know, if, if you don't say yes, somebody else is going to say yes. So I said, yeah, of course I could write a book with them older. And then I sat down in my, <laughs> in my garage and went, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I just lied to these people. Um, but I did. And you took the opportunity, which was, was the main thing. You know, I suppose then were you concerned, you know, it was published, obviously, which was great. But were you worried you were going to be a one hit wonder? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, although it... Um, I think I, I wrote it in, I think it was about 1994. So it was three years before it was published, even after after I'd written it. So in that time, I just kept writing. So I, I just wrote again. So I, I, although I didn't know whether this book would ever be successful or not, um, I realized I could write a book and I wanted to write a second book. And so I just kept going. And what um, sort of a, a book deal did you have at that point? None, none. They none. didn't have a I didn't have a book deal with them, you know, I mean, they said they would publish my books, but they didn't pay me in advance or anything like that. So I was just carrying on myself with with the hope that maybe it would it would work out. So when did you get a book deal? Um, it was when the English publishers came along and um, they they got in touch and they were prepared to, to give me a small advance. And I 
I said, yeah, okay. Um, but I, I wasn't in a position to, to leave my job at that stage. I was involved in something and I said, well, yeah, I, I'll, I'll do it, but I have to finish off what I'm doing <laughs> in work first, in real work first. Um, so in fact, um, I didn't end up leaving my my job until about 2000. I mean, even then, you know, I couldn't be sure that it was really going to work out because obviously the initial thing was all in Ireland and you, you honestly wouldn't make a living out of writing books in Ireland. Um, that's no matter, even though we're fantastic readers and we per head of population, we buy more books than lots of other countries. You still, it would still be very tricky to make a, a good living out of writing, writing books in Ireland. So was that a focus for you from the start then to make sure, obviously you had a good base in Ireland, but to make sure that you were looking abroad? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, my, my, even though my novels are, are set in Ireland or the, my, you know, characters are primarily Irish. Um, I always felt that the stories that I want to tell were universal stories. Mm. So I, you know, if they'd only ever been published in Ireland, I would have still felt, well, I did something. I published a book and it was great. But I also felt that it would surely possible to translate those stories overseas too. And of course, Maeve Finchie had done it brilliantly mm -hmm. well. And I, you know, I, I had initially thought, you know, before I'd actually sat down to write anything, I, I, always said to myself, nobody is interested in reading stories that are set in Ireland unless they're about fields and farms and drink <laughs> and whatever. Um, but then I realised, actually, that's not true. People will read, if the story is good enough, anybody will want to read it. And so the, the I suppose the great thing now is I get correspondence from Russia and Turkey and China and places like well, that. Just... That's it. And I was going to say, we mentioned that, you know, you've, you've sold just under 10 million. Again, where are the most of those sales coming from? Well, I mean, I would have to say the majority would be from English speaking countries and that would be the UK and Ireland and Australia. Um, Canada is a good market for me, too. Um, Sweden, strangely enough, oh. I do. I do very well in Sweden. And um, I, I have quite a good readership in Turkey and the Middle East as well, which is interesting. And recently I've, I've been selling more in India. Interesting. And as you say, like, you know, your stories, they are universal, universal. They're very accessible. Um, they're realistic. But I also like the fact that they, they focus on ordinary lives. And I think this is sort of, you know, the centre of your work is, is, is that aspect. And also that you put women very much at, at the centre of your work. Well, that was definitely one of the things when I was starting to write first, um, you know, when I was thinking about what do I want to write? Because obviously, I think even you're a creative person. There are lots of different stories that interest you and there are lots of different stories that interest me. But I always felt, um, you know, the books that I'd been reading when I was younger, women were not front and centre of their own stories. You know, they were always there in some way to be helping out the guy who was front and centre of the story. Mm. You know, they were the wife, or the husband or the girlfriend or sorry, the wife or the girlfriend or the daughter. Um, but their story was secondary to to another story. And I feel um, that that women's stories are really important and that women hold the fabric of society together. And so I wanted to tell stories from from their point of view. And as they say, from the, the sporting aspect, nearly if you can't see it, you can't be it. So at least you were addressing that and nearly writing books that you wanted to read. I'm certainly writing books about the kind of lives, you know, that interested me, which which is pretty much everyday life, you know, mm. um, I, 
there are great books that are about cataclysmic things, but what interests me is the smaller thing that in your life is cataclysmic, you mm. know, and the small things that change our perspectives and the small things that change the course of what we do with our lives. And that was the kind of thing that interested me. And insofar as it focused in on on women particularly. And interestingly as well, I mean, you were part of a group, I suppose, at that time of emerging writers three decades ago who, uh, three decades ago who wrote in this contemporary style. So you have Cathy Kelly, Patricia Scanlon, Marion Keyes. And what I love about all of those names, including your own, is that all of them are as popular today as they were then. I know it's great, isn't it? Actually, I, and, and we're still good friends because we obviously um, knew each other at the back in the day, and we still know each other now, and we still support each other's writing. And um, yeah, I, I think it was interesting. I, I was Trisha and I were slightly older than Marion and Kathy, and um, but it was I think it was just then women in Ireland feeling confident about their own voices and being able to to share their own stories. And um, uh, you know, I'm delighted that that we did it together. Absolutely. And the fact, you know, that those books still sell by the bucket load, even though they will occasionally get a roasting from critics, you know, who sort of say they're not literary enough and it, it's contemporary fiction. But again, sales, the sales tell their own tale. It's really interesting, the the, the conversation about literary fiction and commercial fiction, which is where they, they put them, because, you know, I, I remember... Um, I think it was Chili Cooper once saying that, or, or could have been made into saying that I'd kill for one nice literary review and they'd kill for my sales, you know, yeah. and it's a really difficult kind of thing where you say, oh, you've sold a lot, but is it any good? Um, and I think, you know, when I started to write, I, I always wanted to write something that was well written, you know, and and that had layers and complexities and and all of that within the story. And so... While I absolutely would say that I write as a storyteller and I write to entertain people, I don't see why that is is not literary enough for some people, you know. And do you think that snobbishness, I suppose, around contemporary fiction, you know, has it subsided over the years or is it still there? I think it has subsided to some extent. And I, I think part of that is also due to the fact that, um, you know, there are more there are more bloggers and more outlets for people to write about books and write about books that they enjoy. And so you're not kind of constrained to perhaps a clique of people who like a particular sort of literature. And I think that's that's the problem. Like, you know, if if there's a gatekeeper of literature and, and there's a particular type that is enjoyed by them, then anything else is going to be outside of that. And again, I think probably 30 years ago as well, um, anything that was seen as appealing to women um, that didn't have some massive big um, world theme was just trivialized. Um, and that's that, that was the other part of it. And that was why I wanted to write books of women at their center. Those, you know, don't trivialize the smaller things um, and don't trivialize women who have whose issues are about trying to juggle a family and, and a career and all of those things, um, which which I think they did did happen. Mm. And do you think it- is it, you know, looking back, I suppose, and again, on your your experience within the, the publishing inter- industry, domestic and in- international, has it changed a lot over the past three decades or is it, is it still stuck in a rut? Um, I th- well, I think the actual industry of publishing has changed unrecognisably over the past few couple of decades, really. Um, like the advent of Kindle and online, online um, reading and online forums and online ways of doing things and people can self-publish now in a way that they just absolutely couldn't before. 
So all of those things have changed the, the publishing landscape and all of those things have brought newer voices and more diverse voices into, into literature and publishing. Um, having said that, a lot of traditional publishing houses would still be considered not diverse enough and, and maybe the voice is not diverse enough. Um, and I, I kind of find it interesting because back again, when we started out, just women's voices talking about women's things was diverse, you know, and so we just have to keep on changing and moving forward. Um, but I think the whole landscape of publishing has changed. But nevertheless, there is still a kind of a, a, a particular literary clique, I think, that, that you know, it feels that it's a gatekeeper of a particular type of book. And have you changed publishers much then over the years? I haven't at all. Um, I, I, in fact, my children's books were, were were published by an imprint. Of course, this is the other thing that publishing houses have got so big that they all have different imprints. Yeah. So, you know, the imprint has changed. But um, in fact, over the last um, 20 years, more or less, um, maybe slightly less than that, I've had more or less the same editor. The publishing team changes around and maybe the imprint has changed, but the public, the overall publisher has stayed the same for me. And I'm quite happy with that. And that relationship is important though, isn't it? It is. And you have to have trust. I mean, I think that's a really important thing is to have trust with both your publisher and your editor. Um, and you have to be able to have the conversations with them, which can sometimes be more difficult, you know, when you're when you're trying to working your way through through a novel. And just talking about the children's books, why did you move into that genre? Because I had um, a story that I wanted to tell, uh, as I said to you, you know, creatively, it's it's not just one particular story you like to tell. And and this is a story that I wanted to tell. It was kind of um, science fantasy Um, it was the, the, the whole story and the concept behind the story was one that um, really needed to be set somewhere else. And, and I thought, you know, the best way of doing this is to put it on a completely different world and make it so different. Um, and so that was why I, I decided because I wanted to concentrate on the plot and the story. I felt it would be better with with children, well, the, not young children, like they're young teens. And I just thought that that would be a better way. And it's a sort of adventure story as well. So I I, I reckoned it would work better for, for younger readers. And will you try anything else, do you think? Not just for children, um, as in other other genres. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at something historical at the moment, which I haven't done before. And I'm, I'm doing research on, on that. So I, I may move into that. I think my initial focus was so very very strongly and I very strongly believed, um, you know, in bringing women's voices and contemporary women's voices to the fore. But there are a lot of people doing that now, which is great. And I don't mean that that's why I'll just move away from it, Mm -hmm. because I do like um, writing uh, in in that genre. But, you know, before there were so few and I just thought it was something that I desperately wanted to do. And now maybe I'll move into into doing some other things. You've written, as we said earlier on, like 30 books, practically one a year, pretty much. I mean, that's a significant, dedicated work ethic. You know, you have your your system. So what sort of routine do you take when it comes to writing a book? Yeah, it does sound really worth work ethic and it sounds like I have a brilliant system and everything. And of course you I'm do. Always <laughs> I'm always surprised when the book actually gets finished, you know, kind right. of thing. Um, but I do, I, I probably do, I do a lot of the prep work and the research work if I have to do it, because it depends on the on the book, how much I have to do. I do a lot of that normally in in the 
sort of September, October, August, September, October type of time of the year. And then usually once it starts getting, the evening starts getting darker, <laughs> that's when I, that's when I, you know, concentrate and kind of go hell for leather. And I, I, I kind of work in two hour blocks now. I find that my concentration will last with me for, for longer than that. Um, but I might do three two hour blocks during the day. But that depends. I'm, I'm far more flexible than you would think. Really, and in, in terms of you're talking about the research there. So do you do you actually plot the books from start to finish? No, not at all. I don't. Um, um, I, I I don't know who it was that said that that um, writing a book can be like driving a car in the fog, you know, and you just barely see ahead. Yeah, and I that's how I am. But there are sometimes sometimes um, there I have decided on a character who has a particular particular career which I like. You know, I like my characters to have. have good careers or interesting careers or or doing different things and so um there have been times uh when i've had to do research uh one of my characters was a, an urban archaeologist so mm. i was i i went in on a couple of digs and things like that another character uh, worked in air traffic control so i did some research on that and then one of the novels i set um set part of it back in the in the 80s in California when there was a particularly strong feminist movement there and because it was actually set there and because it was back in the 80s I I ended up going to California I, I met some of the but I met some of the women and some of the women who'd been on marches and some of the women who were who were who were protesting and the it was necessary to go. I know the sensor. It was necessary to go because places change. Mm. So I wanted to find out what what it was like back then. You know, because if you have people walking down the street, it has to have been there then. And you know, thirty years or forty years later, if if you say they're walking down the street that wasn't there, you know, people will be upset and it's wrong. So, so, um, so that was interesting research now I have to say it was obviously one of my best tri- trips but I did manage to use other things from that that trip in other books too so so have you had any astronauts or tennis players as characters <laughs> <laughs> I haven't um I, I'm probably not ever going to get them uh, into the into the into the skies <laughs> really that at least that far um I do occasionally uh have my have my characters playing a game of tennis but none of them are professional has to be done. One of the things I, I love about what you say is that you try to do three things when you're writing. One is tell a good story. Two, make the reader feel like they know the characters. And three, make each book better than the last. So do you put a lot of pressure on yourself to make sure it's better than the last one? Um, I, I, I probably there is a subtle pressure in my own mind of of wanting each book to be better or to to you know because each time you write a book you learn something about the process and um and you learn something about how you're unfolding the story or about the characters that you're writing about so you want to bring each the experience from each previous book into into the latest book and and I do like to think that you get better with every single thing that you do so um in my mind there is a certain I, I wouldn't Pressure is probably the wrong word, but a, a certain uh, determination maybe to to try and make it the best it can possibly be. And hopefully that will be better than the last book. And do you read the reviews? Sometimes. I, I rarely read Amazon reviews right. because you know, when you get the one star, the, this was not the book I ordered or it came a day late or something, you're just going, please. Or, or I, I, you know, sometimes people 
do a review and it's you kind of think this is not the book I wrote at all. I mm. mean, what are you talking about? This never even happened in my book. So I, I tend not to read those. I do read um, the newspaper reviews if, if I see them or I'm aware of them, but I don't I don't obsessively look at reviews. And then I suppose looking back, you know, to where you started 30 years ago and to the, the standard and, and the industry we have now with Irish writing. I mean, what's your view on on our, our writing industry here at the moment? And I mean that as in the writing community. Um, well, I think we have a very vibrant writing community. I think we have a very strong um, writing community. I'm delighted to see the younger women's voices coming through or as one of my friends said, the Trinity voices coming through. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they're diverse voices. And I suppose that's the most important thing for me is that, you know, you can read a book about anything and people are writing about a variety of things and from a variety of perspectives and from a variety of experiences. And um, so I think that's that's really important. Um, as far as the publishing industry is concerned, because we're a small country, um, we we. But actually, even from a small country, I mean, some of our some of our publishers are, you know, subsidiaries of UK companies, but we still have quite a vibrant um, publishing industry, homegrown publishing industry. Most of the people in the community are lovely um, and very supportive of each other, which is which is great. So, I mean, I, I do think that we do extraordinarily well for a country of our size. So what are you working on at the moment? Um, well, as I told you, I was kind of I'm, I'm looking at maybe something a little bit historical. So I am doing some some research on that, and um, well, we'll we'll just see how that goes. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm always writing something. That's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, even though I, I say to myself, I'm taking a break. I'm I'm not going to do something. An idea comes to me, and suddenly the next thing I know, I've written two chapters, and I'm going, going, oh, okay, let me see where I can take this. Sheila Flanagan, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books, and you'll find all of Sheila's books, including her latest one, which is Three Weddings and a Proposal, online or at your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books I or E. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms, and don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production.